Say It Skillfully is about being who you really are and saying what you think needs to be said, even at work. Whether you're part of a small project team or leading a giant company, the more you accept that you're part of the problem, the faster you can be part of the solution. Join Molly Chang today as together we break the silence and learn how to be happier, healthier, and more productive at work and in life. Hello, Molly here. Welcome to Say It Skillfully, helping you find the words to create shared reality in a way that's true to yourself. Today, I am very jazzed that my friend Rhett Power is joining me. He has incredible range, worked across public, private, and nonprofit sectors. He's a successful entrepreneur, turned blogger, best-selling author, business coach, and who knows what's next. Rhett, welcome to Say It Skillfully. Hey, Molly, it is great to be here. Thank you. Yeah, this is really a treat. We've been talking for this about this for a while, so I'm glad we finally made it happen. And we could spend day talking about all the stuff that you've done, but I'd like to start first uh, on this toy company that you started when you embarked on building that. Um, what are some of your early ahas about what it uh, takes to be an entrepreneur? Wow, that's a that's a Great question, and that's a worth an hour in and of itself, mm-hmm. or maybe even a, a semester class at at school. Um, I, I tell you that we had a six hundred and thirty six page business plan, and I was we were really proud of it. We thought we had covered all the angles, and it went out the door the first day that we got the keys to the business. Um. The other Omaha moments, uh, just a ton of them. Uh, but this is going to, you know, I realized a few weeks in that this is going to push me harder than anything else I'd ever done. Uh, that it was going to push me physically, mentally, and emotionally. Uh, and it, I was going to have to get comfortable. That Another Omaha moment was being in debt and learning how to live with that. I'd always been, you know, just, no, no bills, no, no debt, and you know, all of a sudden having to have debt and getting comfortable with that. Uh, swallowing pride was another aha moment. You know, asking uh, for uh, because we started this business, and about six or seven months in, the recession hit, the Great Recession, and all of a sudden, you know, we're having to ask for more time to pay bills. Uh, uh, so asking for help and, and swallowing that pride was 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 a, a sort of an early aha moment, and uh, those are just to name a few. But those were those were tough. I mean, those were tough days, and and adjusting from getting a paycheck to to not, uh, you know, and having to rely on myself and my business partner and and our creativity and our ingenuity and ourselves, and not. Um, and not having anybody else to really lean on uh, or to, to go to if we had a problem. Well, that's a lot. Uh, let me, I'll come back to the 636-page business plan. When you decided <laughs> to do this, Rat, I, you know, because you had, we'll go back to the career pathing, but what, what was it, what was the sparkle that you said, you know what, I'm going to be an entrepreneur? <laughs> How did that come about? You know, I, I mean, I was pretty happy. Like, I had a job that allowed me to travel, allowed me to make a difference. Was you know, we were working on trade policy, and we were working on economic development and cross-border trade. I had been in, I, you know, I was going, I was negotiating, helping negotiate between the, uh, Tajikistan and Afghanistan for a trade deal. You know, we were. It was just, it was great work, and it was fantastic, and it was post nine eleven, and so. Uh, you know, all this, uh, it was just really fascinating, but there was, there was something sort of in my gut that I started paying attention to in 2005 or six, I think. And, and that was that sort of nagging feeling that I, that, that I needed to try something else. And, you know, I don't know what it was. Maybe it was, I've always been a little, um, uh, a little adventurous, I guess, and, and willing to uh, stop what I was doing. I, I did the same thing in, in, in 1998. I was working for Clear Channel Communications, was on a great career track. Uh, 
I was managing some some sales and and uh, marketing departments at six radio stations, and I quit and I went in the Peace Corps. You know, and I guess I've always figured that I needed to follow that little gut feeling that I needed to try something different. Uh, and and that was I think that was the same feeling I got in two thousand six I think early two thousand six to to sort of look you know you've been talking about starting a business you you and your business partner have been talking about it for so long maybe you should go do it because um, I always felt like I could get another job it, it it wasn't I wasn't worried about not having and being employable I've always been employable. But I always, I mean, I think we, at that moment we decided we needed to try it. Otherwise, we would regret. I, I didn't want to wake up and regret not doing it, I guess. Yeah, I, I really appreciate the high intuitive. I would put myself in that category. And uh, a great level of self-assuredness. What I'm hearing for you, it wasn't a huge risk. I can always go get a job. Um, if that's what it came to, who were the voices? Were there voices that were pro go do it and not going to, I'm just wondering what externally, um, friends, family, people you respected were saying to you. <laughs> uh, that's a great question. Uh, I think my parents gave up a long time ago, understanding me. <laughs> so, um, yeah, they were like, okay, whatever. You've decided to do some really weird things in your life. Why not? You know, um, so I uh, I think everybody was uh, uh, sort of yeah, just do what you you know do what you do, right? You're, you're going to go do it anyway. So I, I don't know if they supported it or they just placated me in in that. Uh, I, I think you know I will say that we did have a ment- a couple mentors early on in the business that were the wrong mentors. You know, uh, Pete and I, uh, or my, my business partner and I, we really had big dreams for the toy company. And I think the early, early mentors that we had thought a lot smaller than we did. And so, you know, it took us a little while to sort of get our heads around that and, and, and find people who understood what we wanted to do and supported that idea and gave us great advice on how to get there. But the early people that we talked to about business, I guess, hadn't really been where we wanted to go. And so they, they thought on a different scale. And so that was a little frustrating until we learned really that we needed other people. Uh, but I think in general, people were supportive. That's great. That's great. So the 636 pages, um, I am wondering, I'm have to believe that there was a lot of benefit from doing that. So if, if you were to do it over again, talk a bit about, you know, what went into the plan. I guess it went out the door, but I have to believe there was some utility in it or maybe not. I think that it was, I don't know if we overthought it. I, I think we just, we went into a lot of detail that wasn't relevant to where we were at that moment. That plan might've been great if we were an established company and we had a lot of resources and we had, you know, bank financing or, or some sort of uh, influx of huge, uh, a huge amount of capital. So it really wasn't relevant to where we were at that particular moment because we started, we bought a small company that had one product and that one product was not at scale, couldn't be, uh, it, it was, the guy made them by hand and, and so we weren't there, we, we weren't in the right I guess we weren't where we wanted to be uh, in our heads. Uh, so the plan didn't really reflect where we were currently. It, was, it reflected sort of where we would be, you know, five years down the road, six years down the road uh, with multiple products. And, and, and I think we had sort of missed that, missed that point. Uh, where we started, we probably could have had a 20-page business plan and that would have been sufficient. You know, later on when we had 85 products and we were manufacturing in China and we were selling to, you know, Walmart and Target and Toys R Us, then that, that the other business plan was probably more relevant. But, you know, we had been management consultants. Uh, my business partner had been, you know, in the management consulting side and in the finance side. And so we had 
sort of over overdid it, I think, to start. Yeah. It sounds like it. Sounds like great learning. Let's shift to a little bit more on the personal side as an entrepreneur, as a leader, and um, some -hmm. of the high points, some of the low points. I use this term, you know, when people are their best friend versus their worst enemy and kind of can't get out of their own way. And, you know, any high points in particular where you thought you were really, you know, on it or low points where you were really being your worst enemy, that would be, I think, helpful for listeners. Yeah, no, they're uh, great question. I think for for the high points, that's the way I I kind of think. I think in those those kind of moments, but uh, all those moments, all those little small victories. You know, the uh, I remember walking out of Toy Fair in two thousand nine. You know, we had been on maybe a a hundred thousand dollar company, and we walked out of Toy Fair. Uh, and drove back to South Carolina where we were headquartered, you know, a, a $5 million company uh, because we had just, we had just landed these, these huge orders. Uh, I remember the, the, the toys of the year award. We won three of those. We, you know, the, the Ernest and Young nominations for entrepreneur of the year was great. Uh, the design awards that our team won, those were all really big high points. Um, the low points for me were sort of losing myself in the business and not taking care of, I I think things like eating well and exercising and the hobbies that I really, really love that give me joy. The, you know, I sit on a, a couple of different, uh, nonprofit boards. I didn't do any of that work then. So not not really doing the things that make make up a huge part of who I am, and not doing those things that I know I should do for me, and my health, and my well being emotionally, and and you know, uh, traveling a lot and missing uh, some of the kids' early stuff was was a, as a regret. So those are those are the low points of that. Um, the high point coming back to the high points is finally finding that balance was probably the highest point for me in all of this in all of that time was finding eventually finding that balance as an entrepreneur and, and as a person and getting some of that time back and, 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 and learning how to, to manage it and balance it if there's such a thing, but you know, learning how to do it better and to do the things that make me who I am so that I'm a better leader uh, was to me was sort of another big aha moment, right? Where that kind of came together and I figured that stuff out for me uh, was really important. Yeah, yeah, that's so awesome. And I hope that's heartening for our listeners because I do, I do believe that each of us can find what's right for us. And, you know, when we first met, I think one of the things that does strike me about you, Rhett, is just very... Like you're just in your skin, you know, you're really in your skin and that sense of uh, self-assuredness of having been around the block um, is very, I think, comforting and I think it helps people around you be who they are. Um, And I think that's a real gift um, for sure. So let me... It's a long journey. It's a long journey. It's a long journey to find that, I mean, and to get there, you know. Yeah, and it's part of enjoying that journey, too. And I think a lot of times folks just want to get there. And part of the sweetness of getting there is that it is, you know, up and down and sideways. And I think that is a a very natural thing. Um, You know, I'm a big fan of Ariana Huffington, who I think went through a lot of just really, you know, working way too much um, and really is about helping people give themselves permission to, you know, go to the kids' events, to eat well, to work out and you know, in the grand schema of things, that's the stuff that really helps you be you. Um, I, you know, and I have spent some time in different sectors too, um, not to the extent that you have, but the company work, right, working for others yourself. The, you work for USAID, some of these public institutions, as well as nonprofits, the Habitat for Humanity. So, you know, just share a bit about what you 
perhaps garnered from those different sectors, what you liked, what you didn't like, where you think you fit in the best? Because um, I, I like to encourage folks to to cross sectors because I think that's how we solve our world's problems by having, you know, kind of understanding it across all. Yeah, I, I look, I, I loved those jobs. The Peace Corps, one of the things I valued about the Peace Corps was that I learned that I, I love to teach and I, I was a, a college professor in Peace Corps, and, and uh, that was, I think the slogan used to be, the toughest job you'll ever love, or something like that, and that is the absolute truth. The, the work at USAID and, and the projects that I worked on were, were great, because we were working on societal change and economic uh, economic change and development and, and, you know, we were making big, big, big changes and had big, big ideas. And, um, and in fact, I, I just got offered to go back into government, um, and, 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 uh, I, I, I turned it down and I, but I still a dream job. It was actually, if you'd asked me 10 or 15 years ago, that the, the job I was just offered was, probably one of my life, all my life, and it still is probably on my bucket list to do. Um, but it, the timing isn't right for me right now. And it's, uh, I think in a different, uh, maybe with a different administration and, and a different time, I would, I would still do that job. I would love to do it. Um, so going back to government is, is certainly not out of the question. Um, but I will say the best thing that I ever did for me professionally and, and maybe financially and, every, and anything else was to start, was to, to, to do that toy company and uh, to be involved in, in business as, as I have been for the last uh, 13 or 14 years. Um, and that taught me so much about myself, about leadership, about perseverance, about focus and commitment. Um, so it, it would make it hard to go back for a, a really long time um, in the government or something like that because I, I really do enjoy what being how an entrepreneur makes me feel about myself and the, the, the difference I can make. Um, the toy company, you know, with the government stuff, with the USAID, like I said before, we were making big changes, societal changes. With the toy company, um, I was just able to make kids smile and that was our whole goal at the company was to make kids smile and to bring joy to them while they were playing with our toys. Um, and that was really satisfying because I had creative and had more creativity, a, a cre- creative control, I guess, of that and, and strategic control. Uh, so that, that gave me a lot of joy. So I think both are important. I agree with you. If you have the opportunity to go between both and, um, use your experience to make government, to make a difference in government. I think it's a, it's a great opportunity. It's, I think service to the country and to others is, is uh, very, very important. And so if you have that opportunity, I do agree that doing both is, is uh, something that I, you know, I think people should uh, try to do. Yeah. It's a great, a great way to contribute to our world more broadly. Um, okay, so let's shift gears to, um, because we always do a say it skillfully question, even with our special successful guests. So we're at, what, uh, what, there must have some tough conversation or, or some sensitive situation that I might be able to help you with. Yes, ma'am. I have one I hope that you can help me with. I have a, a challenge that I've been actually kind of struggling with on how to handle I have a client that I'm working with um, that is struggling with a business partner. Uh, the business is uh, in, I guess, in distress right now, and um, he's got a partner that always wants to be right. Um, and I guess he's getting to his wits end with how that makes him feel when they have conversations and uh, any advice on how to advise him to in the most productive way possible uh, confront his partner or maybe confront's not the right word, having a discussion with his partner about 
how that makes them feel and if they can work out a better way to talk to each other. Yeah, that's a great one, Rhett. And sadly, (laughs) we hear that all the time. So especially with a partner situation, you know, it's such a sacred relationship because it's all rooted in the two of them. So we'll call that, you know, the team, the system. Um, and I and I think that for the for the one who's, um, if you will, been putting up with it, the hardest thing for that person is saying, hey, where are you? You know, I'm really annoyed. He shouldn't be doing this. And, and that's all really legitimate. It really is. Um, the ability to help someone, you know, own that that's how you're feeling, but also to exhale that and let it go. Is, is the number one hardest thing because they just want to make the other person wrong and, you know, it, and it's all legit. So getting the person to, to Switzerland, which is to say to neutral, I think is the toughest thing and they have to want to, you have to say, how much do you want to actually, do you want to make this work? Okay, so how much are you willing to, to appreciate that you're part of the problem? Well, he's going to, it's like, okay, I mean, that's fair. But, you know, we're all part of the problem. We're all part of the solution and just owning perhaps inadvertently or unconsciously how, um, he may have enabled the other person to do X, Y, or Z. I think that is the toughest part. Um, and then from that point, mm-hmm. it's like, well, what do you want to have happen? And, and being clear, well, okay, just, you know, we want to have happen. And then the ability to be compassionate and empathize with the partner and putting, you know, oneself in that person's shoes because we've all gone off the deep end and had monologues and what have you. And so that type of setup, you know, as you work with someone can typically reveal for them, well, wait a second, this isn't all on them, it's on me. Okay, great. Um, and then if you get to the, 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 meat, the juice of it, and let's just say the other person isn't very self-aware, right? So you're trying to be a mirror, you know, you're the ultimate coach there, Rhett. Um, I'd offer the obs- observing perhaps a conversation. You know, I'm just wondering, we just spent 10 minutes chatting. I'm wondering how much you spoke or I spoke. You know, make it a little light, make it cheeky, a little game. Um, or on a scale of 1 to 10, how much do you think, you know, I'm talking, you're talking? I mean, literally making it a little light. And the the person might be a little confused, but it, it's a way to move into it without getting into a real rigorous, you know, you know, win-lose sort of situation. And I find some people yeah. can use the lightness thing really well. No, that's, that's great. Because it, it, to me, it seems like it's, I, I, I'm struggling with how to, not make it confrontational, you know? Yeah, I, I also, it depends, MP, and I just give some range. The lightness has worked for folks. Also, I think the real heartfelt, you know, and can be useful too if a person's, person's really willing to be vulnerable. Say, so, you know, I really care about this relationship. And I have to tell you right now, I want to hang you on this hook and swat you. You're driving me out of my mind. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? So, you know, again, you know your clients, but I think offering that they have more range and how they might approach it um, gives them some permission. You know, I think a lot of leaders are like, well, they've been successful a certain way. Um, and I think the most successful mm-hmm. leaders have a lot of ranges, you know, and so it's think of it as different tools. They can authentically be the person they need to be to best serve the situation. And I think that's, you know, that's a little bit, it's a learning thing as well as a giving so- someone permission to actually realize that that is still you, <laughs> even though maybe they're making a cheeky yeah. joke. <laughs> uh, Rhett, well, it's been delightful. I really uh, appreciate you. Do you have a particular top takeaway from our little chat today? Uh. I think that the, the the thank you for helping me with my coaching dilemma. That's that's very very helpful. And uh, the one takeaway I would would say to everybody is uh, follow your follow your gut. Uh, it, it it is a powerful 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 voice, and I think it has never led me wrong. When I when I listen to it, it. Uh, it leads me down the path that I should uh, be going out down that, at that moment in my life. So uh, that's what I would what I would leave you with. Wonderful, wonderful. Thank you, Rhett. I appreciate you making time, um, and I look forward to, to seeing you before long. Um, and always thank you for being part of the solution. Thank you so much, Molly. You take care, Rhett. 
Okay, before my next caller, two reminders, more ways for you to say it skillfully through my short videos on my website, and that's just at sayitskillfully.com. And I invite you to call in live today at 866-472-5790, or internationally, you can call Collect at country code 1-480-398-3352. And with that, I am very happy to introduce Jody from Brooklyn, New York. Jody, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much, Molly. So it's great you're joining me. I um, I'm looking forward to your question or situation. Uh, well, I'd first like to tell you I, I love your um, say it skillfully. Um, uh, I watch them all the time on LinkedIn. I especially like the episode you did um, uh, with your niece. Um, so, uh, it's honored to be here. I have um, been part of a company for um, a while now, and it's a scale-up tech company in Brooklyn. And um, we recently had to let go of 16 people. And uh, one of the employees has been here for quite a while, Um almost 10 years and he was um he or she was let go and so um person felt that you know the company didn't care about him or her and um put a pretty nasty um review on Glassdoor so i'd like to just you know um ask you if if you know we were giving a second chance to say it skillfully um, how do you make the employees feel like their contribution to the company, you know, almost 10 years spent here, has been, um, you know, noted, um, appreciated, and how do you make them feel as if they matter? And that instead of um, going on Glassdoor and writing, you know, a nasty note, um, how do we get them past this? Perhaps HR should be calling uh, the affected employees, Um so, just wondering if you can give me a little bit of uh, perspective on that. Everyone can relate to this. It's particularly, you know, stressful and relevant these days. And it really comes down to the personal relationship. And this this falls in the category of how do you tell bad news well? Um, and I don't think there's any way to sugarcoat. Um, and I think for you know, thinking about one's own self, whoever's closest to the employee, which is generally, I think, the manager. And, you know, it's not like people don't know this is coming. So I think being really upfront and extremely empathetic is is what's called for. And um, I think we cannot, you can't control how people respond, right? So we can do everything we can and we can put out there what we would love to have happen. At the same time, um, we can't be accountable for how people respond because that you know we're we're, we're not science; we're art as people. Um, so I would you know these kinds of things I think are no sugarcoating, and it is about laying down the situation. I've talked about this in the show previously when people understand that the the, the institution, the organization, has to exist. We've got to keep the organization to survive if we have a chance of hiring people back. Um, and I think people understand that that's, that's just a tough place to be for management. Um, to the extent that people can be clear, not about this individual, but whether it was a particular department or functions or roles or how they thought about um, where they needed to cut at the company and why is just sharing that information. That's just a fact. That's how we thought about it. Um, and then when it came down that this, there was just, we didn't want to do any of this, know that we didn't want to do any of this. Um, but we had to, and the I think the, the the messaging is we you're a great person you're competent this has nothing to do with you're not being able to do the job it's a situation that's out of everybody's control, and we know it's not great we're really sad we have to do that right so just being upfront about that and saying look at I get this may be horrible you may be upset with us we understand all of that it's legit and you give it time to just honor those emotions. And, and and normalize them and then say, look, at what can we do? We, we, we were thinking we could help you with getting another job, help you with resumes or help offer what you thought about, but ask the person, you know, we know this is horrible. What could we do? 
beyond what we have and at least try to come across as a partner and say, you know, we're, we're trying to be really, you know, human about this. Please know that's where it's coming from um, and give them a chance. You know, it's a bit of a grieving process, so it's certainly not something that's going to happen overnight. Let people go back, think about it, tell them you care. You can't overextend on the caring um, and, and then see what comes up from that. And if it takes multiple people, that's great too. Um, but I don't think there's any, there's no recipe book for this. How's that land for you? Okay. Everybody? Thank you. My takeaway was that, um, you know, to, to sound like a, a partner and to also offer them services. Perhaps, you know, we could outsource like, you know, um, a professional, you know, resume review services, you know, or something like that. So thank you. Thank you for that. Yeah, you're, uh, you're welcome. One thing um, I, I didn't say, which I should say, Jody, is when one is giving that conversation, which is just bad. So it is about taking a step back and being clear. Um, mm-hmm. so less words, I think, is more. But also understanding where where we're uncomfortable and and owning that and, and being up front saying, I'm, you know, not comfortable giving this conversation. I, I don't, it's not a conversation I want to have. So I'm going to try to honor you the way I would want to be honored, which is a bit of noting your own imperfections. I'm not going to do this perfectly. Mm-hmm. And, um, mm-hmm. I, but, I, you know, I, I want this to be two-way, and it's not easy. And I, do, and I do want to help you however I can. And I do know in situations where bosses have gone mm-hmm. out of the limb, you call friends, you're like, what can we do to help you? So you can't, again, mm-hmm. manifest your job necessarily, but hopefully the person mm-hmm. will really appreciate that you care and you're trying to do what you can do. And I think at the end of the day. Gotcha. I mean, it's also difficult that we're having these conversations over the phone, let's say. Would it help to perhaps have like a virtual conference, you know, or Zoom or something set up so that they could see our emotions and we can see theirs? Oh, I would absolutely encourage that. I would absolutely encourage that. It's, it's a, this is tough. Maybe it's a really tough thing. And, you know, I, it's not a, it's not a rote conversation. You can have an outline of how you want to go, and then you have to be with that person. And again, we can't. Mm-hmm. You have no idea how they're going to respond. But you know, to the extent that we could, you know, we've all been in situations that that the, the news hasn't been good, um, and you just want to try to to do your best to put yourself in the other person's shoes, but also not sugarcoat gotcha. and not go on and on and on, right? So I, I, I would yeah. definitely what I gave you to want to make it a little bit more succinct, mm. roll it out, mm. be there for that person mm. and, and let them process it. So yeah, Jody, I, I appreciate like that. Um, go ahead. <laughs> no, no, you go ahead. And I also like that um, to, to, to let them um, know the economy situation as well. Hopefully, I mean, nobody wants to be, the person let go, I mean, you know, you kind of see people being let go and, and you would never think that it would happen to you, you know, when you read the news line. So I think it's helpful, um, you know, take away from me from what you said about letting them know that the economy is such a way that if we don't do this, um, the, the whole ship is going to go down. So this is our way, you know, of hopefully, you know, um, being able to at least stop the ship and then refuel and then be able to hire people like, um, you know, the people that we've let go back. So I think that's, that's a really good point. Great. That's great. Well, you know how to find me, my friend. If I can be of more help, uh, let me know. And hopefully, uh, if you ha- hopefully you don't have to do any more rounds, right? But if you do, hopefully a little bit more ammo to, um, to have that go a bit more smoothly. Um, so you take good care, and I thank you for being part of the solution. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And for the first time, I am delighted to have a caller from the African continent, from Lagos State, which is in the southwestern part of Nigeria. I welcome Uche Banu. Uche Banu, welcome to Say It Skillfully. Mm. Thank you very much, Molly. It's my pleasure to be here. So, uh, my friend, we have chatted a bit via messaging. I understand you're a few years into your working career. What uh, question or situation would you like to share today? Just want us to have this um, background of um, the African continent as well, and specifically Nigeria. We have different culture. 
as it relates to the Western world. Um, so, Molly, you see, um, currently in Nigeria, according to statistics, we have about um, 36 to 38% rate of unemployment in Nigeria. So most times when you get into the workplace, you, you try to be very cautious of what to say, what to talk, how, how to talk, you know. You don't want to get fired, you get. So um, my question would be, how do you deal with people other than you at the workplace? Categorically in Africa, they take the issue of um, respect very seriously. Like um, even if you are one year older than the other, you are, you are, you are always tend to be, um, like say kind of being looked down upon you just, I am older than you. Not um, in terms of um, ranking now or the, le- the profile level of the job now. I'm talking about age-wise, age-wise now. I'm not talking about just the um, level of the job. So how do you relate to people older than you at the workplace? Like, how do you get to relate with them? Thank you for clarifying. And by the way, your English is excellent. So I thank you for that. I'll rephrase that as a way to honor and respect um, the age when someone's older than you. Um, at the same time, you know, say it skillfully, is about using your voice so that um, you are able to say what you really think needs to be said. So I think an opportunity is always when in our own mind, you know, what are, what, what's going on for ourselves. So if you think to yourself, I might be a little bit apprehensive or worried, right, that I come across yeah. in a way that's disrespectful. That's very normal. So just be with that for a moment. So don't make yourself wrong or bad, but say, you know, that's a very legitimate issue. Um, and it's, I think, the first thing to think about. And I always often um, offer to people, just put that out. And let's just, let's just call this person Max. So Max, you know, we're colleagues and I enjoy working with you. Um, I understand you are a bit more senior than I am. I want you to know that I very much do not want to come across as disrespectful. I respect you. And again, one needs to be authentic about that. So that's a very important thing. So the people, the person right away is, is understanding this shared value. And I understand culturally, you know, I'm, I'm um, Chinese descent and that's uh, a part of our culture as well. And so you don't yeah. want to come across as rude or otherwise, you know, a brat um, is a younger generation person. So that's the first step. And then it, it, it might be just the notion of I, someone may have has a certain belief. You may say, I believe, I understand that you said X, Y, or Z. I appreciate or I acknowledge that point of view. And without being confrontational, it might be, may I offer uh, a different way perhaps of seeing it? Are you open to a different way of seeing it? So you're asking permission. Now, I know it may seem like this is a lot of runway before I actually blurt out what I want to say. And I would put all this in the category of really being able to connect, and really be able to relate to someone. Oftentimes in our own head, we're so concerned, and I'm guilty of this all the time, of blurting out what I think is right or what I want to say. And it's really not about me. It's about the other person. So I'll pause first there. Is that making sense? Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Well, it's just that I want you to look at it in this context. For instance, now we use Max as an example, right? Um, <clears throat> so I'm working with Max and I'm have something to deliver through the email you get. So now I'm addressing Max by his first name, <clears throat> but he expects me to put a ma or a sa instead of calling him by his first by his first name he thinks that it's, it's it's some kind of disrespect for me to address him by his first name and you know though we are colleagues but at the same time he's senior to me so i don't really have the right to address him simple addressing somebody by his first name or his um and just you know just little things like that the people you they, they get to become repulsive when you are dealing with them at the workplace you are trying to make things you know trying to get things done, but yeah, they does, you know, act as an obstacle. Yes, I can hear a bit of your own speeding up and I can tell this is quite emotional for you. So I think that's a, a something to observe and notice for yourself. 
what is it about that yeah. that's that's a bit of making you race a bit? So I believe what I'm hearing is these folks want to be referred to in a certain way, sir or ma'am. And if by chance you've yeah. used their first name, then they react quite negatively. And exactly. It, exactly. So um, I will offer, you know, that however someone wants to be addressed, the respectful way would be to address them that way. And I'll give you a great example. I am anti-Molly to my nieces and nephews. I'm not Molly. Yeah. They might hear their parents yeah. call me Molly. I am anti-Molly. And that has been made abundantly clear since they could speak. So obviously that's just something that we do and it's, it's part of our relationship. So the question I have for you is when you call someone sir or ma'am, you know, what is it about that that doesn't sit well for you? It's really not about that person. So I think that's a real opportunity and to think about, you know, if someone were calling you the wrong name, let's just say it that way, you know, would you, would you be happy with that? And so there's some kind of meaning that I'm thinking for you, right? Like, what's it mean? You're saying that, are you saying that they're not just, they're disrespecting you? You know, think about what Mm -hmm. it means for you. Um, For me, I don't think that's uh, like, I don't really take that serious though, because I feel that the goal is getting the job done. And we are, we are actually on the same, um, we're on the same phase trying to get a goal achieved. So I actually don't take that as priority. You get, I don't take that as priority. So I just, the main thing is to get the work done and you know, try to relate the best way you possibly can. But when you begin to take names personal to me, I think that's way off and that's not just right. I appreciate. So one thing that may be coming across for the other person is that you actually don't respect the use of sir or ma'am and you're just about the work. And I'm not making that bad or wrong. That may be what they perceive. So if they perceive that, that becomes personal for them. And that may not help them, you know, partner with you to get your work done. I'm with you. For some reasons, your boss is not really in line with that. He doesn't want to, you know, he doesn't want to see your view or perspective. How do you do with that? He knows that, okay, this this step you are suggesting is something that is going to... um, take the firm to the next level, but at the same time, he just wants to put you down for no just cause, or maybe you, he's, he's, he's seeing your being brilliant or intelligent as a, as a sort of an oppression to him, so he doesn't want to take your idea into consideration. How do you deal with that? Yes, that's a great question where we feel like our superior is not open to our input and may feel a bit intimidated or otherwise on their heels about it. Right. So the number one thing is, and I appreciate that that's your experience, it's not necessarily true. So you, you have to appreciate that you're interpreting it that way. Again, I'm not saying it is or it isn't true. I'm not there. However, in our own okay. minds, we get to this point, well, this guy is, you know, bad. I'll put quotes around bad. He doesn't like my idea. He's not open. And that may be the case. Yeah. My point to you is that sort of perception on your part doesn't really help your cause. So... The idea is okay. if I ha- if this person isn't accepting my idea, what am I doing? How am I part of the problem that I'm obviously not communicating this in a way that this person sees that it's helpful? I don't want to make someone bad or wrong for themselves, but the thinking is communication is about what the other person hears, not what you're saying. And it's very hard for many people to to own that. Okay? So the same steps about creating relationship with this superior is to say, I've been watching our team. I like being part of the team. I appreciate working with you. Again, has to be genuine. I'm seeing something that I think could be a real benefit to the group and to you. Okay. So now you're helping someone appreciate it isn't about you looking smart because you have a great idea. I know that that is, that's part of the benefit for you, but you're, you got to put yourself in other people's shoes. They're working hard. They have all these things they're doing. You have no idea the other things these people are perhaps doing. Correct? I'm not sure. So, the ability to say, you know, I, I appreciate there's much that you're doing and I'm not aware of. From what I know, and again, you realize you have a limited view, I'm seeing this might be an opportunity that makes the work easier, makes it faster, you know, makes it cheaper, whatever the benefit is. Yeah, yeah. May I share it with you? 
you ask permission. May I, is now okay. a good time to talk to you about it. Okay. Okay. See how this is going into, and then see what the, well, no, now's not a good time. Okay. Oh, okay. What, when is a good time? I'll come back when it's a good time for you. Okay. And then you have a chance to lay out the idea and keep in mind the perspective of how it helps the organization and the other person, not you're so smart and great. And I'm being, I'm exaggerating a bit for you just, just to make the point. So I'll pause. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Uh, I, 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 those are like at you. Your perception, yeah, concept. Great. So let's make it a wrap here. Do you have a top takeaway from that last question? I have to. I have to um, take permission in certain times. Try to see. Try to um, to make my boss understand that okay, this is is this a good time to talk to you? You know, like try to take permission, and because I don't actually know what he's facing as well, so I don't just um. Assume or come to the um, conclusion that he doesn't want to take my idea, but the way and manner must be um must be, is very crucial to see that um I I get successful with contributing that idea to the organization. Great, that's fantastic. I appreciate your sp- spending time with me and all that you're working on. I'm here for you, and if I can be of help in the future, let me know. And most of all, thank you for being part of the solution. You take Hello. good care. Oh, thank you very much. I really enjoyed um, being on your show. <laughs> ciao, ciao. Bye-bye. So I'd like to build on um, something both Rhett brought up and this conversation with Uche Beno. I had done a post on the leaders chiming in with their two cents um, and stifling the quieter voices. Um, and from LinkedIn, someone followed up and said, you know, it's super great that leaders should realize that they are chiming in too much and make room for other people. Um, but what do you do, right, when you're the team member, lowly team member, uh, you observe this dynamic going on and, you know, you love your team, but you're just sick of what you perceive as your boss uh, taking the stage, stealing the show, you know, stifling good uh, um, ideas from other people. Um, and, and this leader is a highly respected person in the organization. So that, you know, you're a little bit concerned about backlash. I think this is a very, very real, happens all day long, every day for a lot of people. And again, I'll <clears throat> always start with the fact that if you really believe that a superior doesn't want to hear it, is going to fire you on the spot or make your life truly, truly miserable, and you have proof for that, then my question is, why are you there, right? You, uh, hopefully, you have decided that you're valuable and, and that people should, you know, have, um, should, should be, it should be worth it for them to work. <laughs> They're worth, you're worth it for them. Sorry, I'm a little losing it. So, um, I think it can be helpful. I, I appreciate the boss-employee hierarchical kind of relationship. And I would offer, when you go into some of these conversations, if you think about it as person-to-person, friend-to-friend, that might help. And you've been listening to the show, my videos, you can always blame me as a reason why you are coming forward. And let's just say you have this boss, you've observed some things that you just, you wish were different, or you at least like to have a conversation about it. So it might really sound like, you know, um, Tom, I realize I haven't shared what I've been observing, um, and I and I realize I haven't been doing what I think I can do to really help you and to help the team. And part of part of that has just been because I've been worried about how you'd respond, and that's not really fair to you, because if I were in your shoes, I, you know, I'd really want people to tell it to me straight. And that's done with a very open heart, take some courage, straighten the eye. And I think someone, a boss is going to realize, wow, this is, this person really is, um, it has, is showing a lot of courage and gosh, I'm really lucky. And that could be an opening for you to, um, to then let them see what, you know, hear what you have on your mind, which is to say, you're not necessarily saying it's all true, but saying, you know, in the meetings, my experience has been a lot of folks could be saying more. Um, and it seems to me that they're holding back because they're waiting for you or, you know, you're willing to, to fill the air and, and tell them what you think and get into a conversation because it is about your perception versus that person's perception. And then 
helping that person appreciate what it might be like for the other team members. And if they get a little bit edgy, which can be the scary part, oh my God, they're losing it. Say, hey, you know, I'm sorry if I put you on your heels. That's not my intention at all. I really just wanted to have an open conversation with you. This is where you're actually mentoring up and helping that boss appreciate how, you know, how hard this might be for you or for others and what would be helpful in how they respond. So I hope that uh, provides a little bit of follow-up um, when you're not the leader and you're, in fact, a person on the team. So uh, I will close with my thought for the week. And I am seeing um, at all levels at work um, and family that we're really asking a lot, maybe too much of ourselves. Um, so I'd offer I'd, to give yourself credit for what you are doing and give yourself permission to do a little less. I think leaders and parents alike, you want your fit team, your family to be their best selves which is what you need to be modeling. So know when you need to take a step back, just ask for what you need. It's a sign of strength, not a sign of weakness. And so I'll close with do be your best enemy. Don't be, be your best friend. Don't be your worst enemy. And I thank you for tuning in. That's a wrap. Please be part of the solution and kindly share this show. Reflect on your top takeaways. And no, I'm cheering for you to be who you are and say what needs to be said so that you and those around you have a shared reality, essential to make the best decisions, execute with speed, and achieve outstanding outcomes at work and in life. Homelessness is a problem that's more costly to ignore than solve. The U.S. spends $12 billion a year responding, but resources alone aren't enough. I'd like you to know there are cities and counties proving what does work. Partnering with Community Solutions, a nonprofit I'm on the board of, more than 80 communities around the country are succeeding in ending homelessness, beginning with chronic and veteran homelessness. They convene local leaders around data and are changing how they work and spend their resources. So homelessness becomes rare. More than half have already reduced the number of people experiencing chronic and veteran homelessness with commitment to get to zero. What can you do? Visit www.built40.org and see whether your community is engaged. Contact your mayor and ask, do you know the number of people experiencing homelessness in real time? Do you know every homeless person by name? What are you doing to drive measurable reductions in homelessness? Please challenge the fiction that says homelessness is an intractable problem. Thanks for listening to Say It Skillfully with host Molly Chang. Join us again for more ways to say it skillfully next Tuesday, 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Follow Molly on LinkedIn and Twitter. Check out SayItSkillfully.com and sign up so you don't miss her latest 90-second video. And please, be part of the solution. Kindly tell others about this program so they say it skillfully too. 